everyone, this is Abe Chen. And I'm Matt Yao. Welcome to On The Rise. This show is a series of curiosity-driven conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, and athletes about the life and the careers that they're building. In this podcast, we navigate their habits, decisions, and goals to better understand how we can apply these learnings to our own lives and hopefully yours too. We appreciate the time you're taking today to tune in. And if you liked it, please share this and drop us a review so that more people can hear from our friends who are on the rise but like all of us are still trying to figure things out. Like, you came to a couple of practices. I came to a couple of practices, that's right. I, was, I think I told Matt, but I've never learned how to swim. And so when you You're told pretty me, good. For... When you told me how to like think about things, like the pull-up analogy was like the most mind-blowing thing ever. Because before I was like, would you do a pull-up like this? I was like, no. It was like, why would you swim like this then? And so that's, that's what it really opened my mind. That's all mine. No one ever told me that. And yeah. you teach like enough lessons and you start to think of things. I mean, that, that's... A big reason we wanted to, or I wanted to have you on this podcast. Uh, we're just, you know, starting this off because we both find inspiration in people who are like athletes and teachers themselves. And clearly, like what we've noticed is, you know, with these folks, it's not that they do one thing, but they do a few things. Sure. And you like you teach, you swim as well. Um, so I think that's all really cool stuff. We'd love to dig into along with your avocado Instagram and everything along yeah. the way too. But <laughs> I've never really uh, shared publicly. Though. That it was me. Although if you make if you make like if you draw the lines and you extrapolate, you would realize that it's mine. I'd love to like maybe wind it back a little bit sure. and you know, we'll definitely want to talk about swim with you, but I'm actually really interested in what got you into teaching, whether it's something you've enjoyed as a kid or something you picked up over time. I don't really know. I did teach swimming lessons to people. I started swimming when I was six and my family and I we, I, we lived across from a pool. Mm-hmm. We lived across from a bay. The Great South Bay on Long Island, and there was like a modest club and like a modest pool, a community pool, mm-hmm. where we would go in the summer. And I loved to go there and swim and hang out. We'd spend all summer, and it was a long time ago, so I don't really remember like sunblock or hats or sunglasses or anything <laughs> like that. And yeah, and there, there was like swimming lessons, and they had a little team, and I joined that when I was six. And I remember the first day, I did not want to go, and I cried a lot. And my mom like took me back, and then the next day took me back. And then I really liked it. Wow. I got a trophy the first year. Um, and I was, you know, I was okay. I wasn't like winning everything right away. I think I got fifth and something like the first time I did it. But I really liked it. What a, what about it did you like? What was that first like, um, light bulb moment where you're like, oh, I, I like this? Well, I liked racing. I liked the competition. I remember like they would close the pool for those little competitions. So to like be able to part, be a part oh. of it and not be excluded from the pool like yeah. in the summer for those few hours i don't know there were like people would come watch there would be races everyone seemed to know each other they had like a t-shirt or all the same bathing suit and i just like to swim i always like to swim what do you think kept you around swimming because i i guess i feel like high my friends who did high school swimming it was like wake up early swim long long hours it felt like one of those sports that required a lot of dedication and i think that's a contrasting to some other sports that made less dedication or that you like really have a team aspect while you're out in the field and swimming does feel like individual in, in nature but also the, the competition like when you are racing that's individual I think the idea that you're doing it with other people that you are like great friends with and you have respect with or you're competitive with in that sense it's a team there's such immediate feedback yeah. right because it's timed and there are so many things that you can like judge your performance on you can judge your performance in relation to like where you are in a, in a cycle or where you are in a season 
there's always another competition. You already knew that you were really good at swimming by the time you were 10. Well, I mean, swimming kind of tells you mm-hmm. whether you're really good. Or, I wasn't like a, a nationally ranked, like I wasn't like top eight for swimming because generally a championship pool is an eight lane pool. Mm-hmm. Like the top 16 was always like the big, in your age group, nationally mm-hmm. was always the biggest thing. And I was never that, but I think I had won like the, the junior Olympics. Wow. But yeah, so you, I mean, you go to competitions and you know where you place and you know how good you are. Oh yeah, you did ask me like how I got, how yeah, I got I mean, into it. So I, I started like, like tutoring little kids and teaching swimming lessons at let's say like 14 or 15, maybe even a little younger. And then the swim team. How did you get into to tutoring? I think people knew that like I was like a smart kid. Like maybe. I did well in math or whatever. <laughs> so they were like, oh, like maybe you could work with this student, like on like this neighbor on like cool. multiplication facts or something like that. And then there were the swim team um, had like young coaches. Like I remember the coaches that were there when I was six. Like they were kind of like larger than life figures, you know. Like, you know, they I, I knew that they could swim, but they were they just worked at this club all summer and yeah. you know, like any sort of like ice rink or pool or like gym where people do gymnastics, I would think like the people that work there are kind of larger than life the for the little kids for the little kids that go. Yeah. Yeah, in your world they are like the best. Yeah, they're, they're the best because they're kind of all you know, right? They're yeah, teaching so like you Teachers lessons. are literally like larger than life in, in a lot of cases. On the career decision part, you're probably around all these other people, very ambitious, and you mentioned like consulting, banking, but then you went into teaching. Well, it was the first year after 9-11 as well. So like the opportunity for like employment was really slim. Something I I feel like is really true to me is that teachers, especially early education teachers, are the people that stick with me for the rest of my life. Like I can still tell you my first grade teacher was like Miss Robinson. I can remember the stuff we learned in that classroom, mm-hmm. but I really feel like, and I would love to hear from your perspective, but I didn't get a chance to say thank you for these teachers. Like by the time I realized what they were able to do for me, I was already like five years, six years out well, of Well, you still school. can. I mean, the nice thing now is, right, like there's social media and I'm sure like <laughs> given their ages, there's like Facebook. When I was teaching my first year in Belgium, I remember reaching out, well, like I got a letter from my third grade teacher, like congratulating me on graduating from college, which I was like, that's, that's wow, incredible. Wow. Um, this is Olmeyer. And then I remember reaching out to my fourth grade teacher. Um, I remember her being like, no, fifth grade teacher, fifth grade teacher. She was like a very ambitious teacher and she took it very seriously and she took us very seriously. And I don't know, I guess I just wanted to connect and like at that point you just email people, right? Like, so I emailed her and she wrote back to me and she's like, oh my gosh, you're a teacher, that's crazy. And like, that was, that was nice. It wasn't something I always knew that I, I taught and I left for, I left teaching in a school for 11 years. Like I didn't do that. Like I was just oh. full, full-time coaching. It's, it's funny that you bring up the, how you like thank your former teachers. Cause I've actually been thinking about this. I'm connected with a couple of them on Facebook. And I remember nowadays, People don't really post on each other's Facebooks for your birthday anymore, but Miss Brandt, one of my history teachers, I don't even remember which grade, but I remember her, remember her name. She always just like posts on my page and says like, happy birthday to one of my oh. heroes. I'm always like, wow, hero. That's a very, that's a very loaded that's term. Nice. 
But uh, maybe actually, she sees all the wonderful things we're up to. All the well, places no, the thing you're going. Is, I don't post on Facebook, so I was actually thinking like. But what did you do? In I her should. Class I should reach out to her like around the holidays and just tell her what I've been up to. You should. And I have a personal blog, so I can just. I mean, there's a little bit of this like social awkwardness of like, oh, I haven't talked to this person. Oh, like, I don't. So I much, think. Yeah, I but mean, yeah, my but, professional advice would be. Just do it. Just yeah. do just that. Do like, it. there's yeah. no awkwardness at all. If the awkwardness is yours, it's exactly, not, it's not hers. It I'm is. sure she yeah. would love to hear from so, you. And I, yeah, I am gonna do that. A couple other teachers like that. You should do that. I will do that after this too. I'll, I'll find some emails and through all of your teaching and coaching, you've probably coached thousands of people. It's true. I have. When I say that to people. They yeah. They look at me like, are you? And, are you serious? Really? I mean, there's probably some commonalities, but I imagine there's like a, a there's a range of types of people: super young, super old, socioeconomic status, like sure. background. When you think about the best swimmers you've ever coached, are there any common traits that they had? Whether it was like the way they grew up, or the habits that they had, or just like the attitude towards swimming. Well, best. What do you mean by best? Do you mean fastest, or or and like most competitively successful, or mm. do you mean? The people that swim the best technically or do you mean the people that have the best relationship with the sport because sometimes the fastest swimmers have the worst relationship with the sport mm -hmm. like yeah. they can't like they maybe they don't process failure very well or you know some people do it um habitually they're consistent so if you think about like consistency as what makes something the best or just how far someone has come right like if someone grew up because they had a pool in their yard or they grew mm -hmm. up on a lake or at the ocean and then they just could always swim because like everyone they knew could always swim and then they become like a competitive swimmer and they do okay um or they do really well like but they not no one's yeah. swimming but they started pretty far along whereas like there might be someone who had no access to a pool, had never been in the water, had a near drowning experience, whatever it might be. Um, or maybe like their path to figuring out how to do it was like riddled with like lack of access, breaks, injury, fear, um, like no lessons, terrible pool. Maybe someone was mean to them when they went to the pool, hmm. you know, and, and or like said something, you know, to them that was like sexist or racist, like these things happen. So like if they can find a love for the sport or just start to compete or they just love to swim and go every day, like, I don't know, does that make them the best? Right. Yeah, so yeah. fastest, I'd probably like to, to go along with like maybe what I assume you were originally thinking. I mean, the fastest female swimmer that I ever coached, uh, her name is Katie Miley and she won two medals in Rio, a gold and a bronze. Wow. Wow. Um, I coached her. When did you was coach like her? One of her primary coaches from 2010 to 2013, mm -hmm. her last three years of college, and then a little bit after. And then um, I would leave it to her. To, I tried to describe this to someone the other day. I forget why. Um, but, you know, we knew that she had to go and become part of a professional team. It was, she was graduating college, and she knew at some point she'd want to be a lawyer, so she thought she would be like a paralegal first. Um, she was graduated from Columbia. She was an amazing student, um, but definitely saw in her like immense potential and probably the qualities you're asking about that mm -hmm. I'll get to. Um, so I said, I think you should like continue on mm -hmm. and not just like work and continue on, but like make swimming your priority and become a professional. And she's wow. like, 
I, she, and on paper, like as far as her rankings or her experience nationally or internationally, she wasn't quite there. But um, we put together some places she could go and actually went with her um, to explore like other coaches and like professional groups that would be a good fit. And so at one of the last competitions that I coached her at, that um, was a, a national level competition, we called it like a Grand Prix or a Pro Series. Um, we, we met with like the coaching team for a pro group that actually went on to put five people on the U.S. Olympic team and then have wow. other Olympians too in, in swimming in the so summer. At this point, she was thinking she would go graduate and be a paralegal and you and other people were the ones that I was the driver. I will take credit for that. I mean, wow. other people were on board, but I was the on one. On the record. So wait, so how did you... I like, told her. I just yeah, said, like, yeah. you have, you know, you should. Like, you're, you're good. Like, the sky's the limit for you. Like, you have... You have talents, you have tools, you have, you're ferocious and, you know, in your racing ability. And she loved it. And she, I don't want to say she was a late bloomer because she was like at the junior national level and qualified for the national championships. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that she was ranked like 200th or 300th or 400th in the world, like five years before she won, you know, two medals at the Olympic Games. So for her, it was making it the priority and then I, I was not coaching her. I was not, you know, she would come and swim, you know, a few days here or a week there. And, you know, she went from being a student athlete that I coached to an athlete that I sometimes worked with and, and to a friend. Wow. She's, she's a very good friend. And yeah, she just had all, all the, all the right stuff that would make someone sort of elevate themselves or help someone elevate themselves to that level. What were support. those? What were those specific things? Because at the time, it sounds like she was a collegiate swimmer. She was, you know, a really good swimmer. But then she was like at this level, and then in order to win medals and where she got to, she was she ended up being up yeah, here. Yeah, she so became like, she became a world champion. In the diff, like, what was that difference? Holder. What about her at the time when you said, "Hey, you, you, you right. think you're gonna go do this corporate paralegal job?" But I see something more in you. What did you actually see? Was it very tangible? I would, I would just say I see I see that for you later. Um, she, I mean, she has physical gifts in that like she's very strong and very lean and able to work very hard and, and like produce like in practice day after day week after week season after season she loves to race she loves to compete she loves to take on new competitors like the next challenge the next competitor like the person at the, at the next level she can let things go really easily mm. we have a very good relationship but once in practice she was upset with me because I didn't think the effort was like to the standard that it would need to be for her to achieve her goals and so it was a it was a gradual release like people got released from the session as they showed like their best personal effort not it wasn't like by time or it was like that looked like you were trying your hardest now you can mm. go home and that's how people were released that's from cool. the session and she was held toward the end and she's the kind of person that much rather like just show it right up front. Like that was amazing. Yeah. Like you should, you're done. We didn't, yeah, yeah. I think that might've been like the only time we did it or maybe a couple times, but yeah, like she stormed out. Like I wasn't happy. <laughs> and then like, she just came back like 10 minutes later. I was like, I'm so upset or I was so upset with you. And I was like, well, I was upset with you cause you should have been doing better. And she was like, but you were being such a jerk. And I was like, was I, I was like, I thought you were being a jerk because you weren't trying harder. <laughs> and she's like, well, I don't leave upset. And I was like, well, I've never been upset with you. And mm. like the relationship I have, I've messed up a lot in life and I've made lots of mistakes and unfortunately like burned bridges. And like with Katie, that's 
one of the relationships like in life that I'm most proud of because I've learned and grown and dodged making mistakes. But also in moments like that, I was like, well, I, I can never be mad at you. This is like, there's such an investment on both of our parts tomorrow. Or I don't even know if we were like, that was the morning we were coming back later in the afternoon or it was a Saturday and we were coming back on Monday. I have no idea, but I just remember that conversation and like, no, like it's all bigger than this. So that was cool that she See came back after. Yeah. Well, she's that incredible of a person. Just she, I mean, she it. went on to go to the Olympics. She spent another year where she was mostly in, but a little bit out and then improved on her performance at the Olympics and won medals at the world championships and swam personal bests. She's one of the best all time performers in the hundred breaststroke internationally. Mm. For her, it was like, do I, do I delay my life? And even though this is a sport that I really love, but I think because she had achieved so much um, and her peers and those people in her life, you know, were moving on and achieving a lot. And she often talked about how, how stressful those high level meets are, right? Like the Olympic trials and how, how challenging managing that stress is. And uh, she, she's now on the board of directors at USA Swimming. Wow. She's a lawyer. She, so she did end up going back. To she's, the- she's very, very involved in the sport, very connected as an, an alumna to I, Columbia University Women's Swimming. She, she cares a lot about the sport and about swimming. I, I can tell just by the way you talk about Katie and your students and even when asked the question of which ones are your best students, you look at it in such like a multi-faceted way. Um, I'm curious, uh, like as a teacher, like across first grade to college swimming to like, you know, at the highest levels of swimming, like what do you think, how much of that is like you coaching and, and being like a physical coach, then whether that's like physically excelling at school, physically excelling at the sport versus thinking about the like effort. Me, like, oh, yeah, like their what, physical ability or their like cognitive ability versus like the effort they put in. Yeah, I, we see a lot of like you mentioned at the highest level. There's so much pressure and like the mental intensity has to be there as well and to develop that in a person. So I'm just curious, like from a coach's and a teacher's perspective, like are you how how are you like trying to harness like pushing them but also working with them so they can like yeah I mean sport is very different than the academic setting. Um, mm-hmm. So like coaching swimming. I know I've so I've coached like little kids um, yeah. I think part of the reason I went back to co- to teaching in a, like a lower school in elementary school is because for six summers I coached and taught and directed all things like around the water at, um, at a club called the creek it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a private membership club on Long Island that was founded about 100 years ago by um, GP Morgan and and it's it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> club and it's you know, it's very private, um, but I did work there. So I think it's fair to say that people, we, you know, it, it doesn't get talked about. People that belong there don't talk about it. Um, it's, it's, it's nice. It's very, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in Locust Valley, New York. And I was very fortunate to work there and to get to meet all the families that, that are members there and work with their children. So, you know, there, I just worked with kids they had, and we really enjoyed working with the three-year-olds because they would come to camp. They were super cute. Mm. And most of them couldn't swim. And we were like, no, in seven weeks, like we're going to get them to swim. And they would always be able to swim. They were three. Wow. Now, could they do strokes? Some of them, not usually, but could they swim like 20 feet? Just yes. Float. They could just like paddle along. Mm-hmm. So we would joke that we were like the best coaches in America for three and four year olds. Mm-hmm. 
this is just sorry this is just like incredible range from like teaching three-year-olds who had never gotten into the water to high schoolers to college yeah. like some of the best like a, athletes. A generalist mm. but yeah. then specific when it matters so um what do you do differently for each of these groups like to you're teach? obviously not they're yelling so, at the three-year-olds yeah they're, they're yeah, so different know. in the ways they need well i think coaching. in 2022 you have to treat <laughs> treat them all a bit like they're three like everyone wants to be cared for no wait, wait, are you saying in the over the decades of your coaching, are you basically saying like we've all gotten soft? No, I think we've gotten smarter. Like no one wants to be yelled at, okay. no one wants to be belittled or embarrassed. People will work harder for you when you're nicer to them. Mm. When you understand them, right? Like like having like a cultural competence to understand like what backgrounds people are coming from. Not everyone's the same. Mm. Um as I said, yeah, I've made lots of mistakes, like in how I've done it, um, I would not say that I've made mistakes with little kids or young people. I think there's that instinct to just always be kind and mm. always be patient. Um, you know, maybe with like a little kid years ago, like you say something in your own head, or, but like nothing ever comes out. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so I, I think it is super different, you know, and but it's it's a bit full circle like the professional the adult that trying to convince um drew who i told you about who's more of a friend now than someone i coach um or, or katie like one more season one more year one more world championship one more u.s masters national meet like that's sort of like the same <laughs> with maybe with more words or maybe with fewer words that you are with like four or five six really? year olds like trying to convince them to mm do it for the first time, take the chance. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't matter if you make a mistake because honestly, like that fear of not achieving or failing or messing up stays with us. So that's like a really hard piece to move someone forward and take them from, you see what you see in little mm -hmm. kids and teenagers and, and adults. I think there's culturally, like we're a little bit more willing in sport to like be tough on the teenagers, but then they're the ones that need, like, it's so hard to be a teenager. I would mm -hmm. say it's probably easier to be a six-year-old. All things, all things equal, right? Yeah. Assuming, like, a happy home and supportive community and family, like, it's probably harder to be a teenager than it yeah. is to be a college student or a, um, well, a graduating college student or, um, or a young adult. Or, or, so I think, you know, everybody needs that like right like they need to trust you they need to in some ways like you mm -hmm. they have to respect you and they have to know that you know what you're doing right they have to know that you understand whatever it is you're trying to teach them or coach them in and that you have to show that sometimes and you need people in your in your corner in your circle that validate your ability when i coached at columbia you know i i you know i think it was mistake that I made at the end of my career there but it was a strength when I started to always be you know supporting and validating the other coaches that I worked with mm. to celebrate their achievements mm. and to let the student athletes we worked with know how how competent and celebrated like all the coaches were that worked with them and I think when I worked at Greenwich Academy this is the first season I'm not coaching there it's a lot to you know be in Brooklyn or Chelsea at Chelsea Pierce coaching and then to be in Greenwich, Connecticut, to, you know, all within two hours and yeah. back and forth. It's a mm. lot, but, um, I, the, 
the student athletes, the eighth through twelfth graders that I worked with at Greenwich Academy, they're as I said, all girls, and some of them now compete in college at, at a very high level at Harvard, Yale, and Division three at Colorado College. Um, and I think what made that a success was at Columbia University as well. What made that a success as well was being even tempered and calm with them, and sort of being very much in the middle with my emotions and my words and having staff around me that coaches that I would bring on to work with the team that were also sort of even could sometimes say the things that um, were better if I didn't say them mm. but if they came from someone younger than me or mm. if they came from another woman like working with girls like that would be that would be helpful yeah. if I if we took the terms amateur and the term professional but we didn't define them by the presence of money. Sure. Like going from amateur to professional is not about going from someone doing the sport for passion and making money from it. Right. What would you say is the difference between amateur and professional if you took money out? In sport, out? in swimming. In swimming, if you took money out of it. Um, so there's something about the mindset of a swimmer when they... I think it's, it's habits and routine and always like that self, like the ability on your own to know how to make the right choices, whether that's when to eat, when to get to sleep, the appropriate amount of distraction, what to do to warm up or cool down after a race, who to allow into your like into your circle in the middle of like a competition, you know, like when to put down your phone and not look at social media. You know, like I know that Olympic athletes are given another phone with another phone number. And they, of course, will look at their phones, but they're treating that experience as very special. And they don't need to be or want to be bothered with Mm. emails, texts. They don't want to be engaged in conversations with, with, you know, like people they haven't heard from in a super long time or like super fans or exes or things like that. (laughs) Like they just need to focus. And then it's they and then they can share that information with like that new contact information, that sort of tempered contact information with people that are going to add to their experience or that they need for support or that they need to communicate with. It's almost like a model that anyone could sort of take into sort of any field is like, oh, you almost have to pretend like your phone is like a new device. Like you're using a different number, you're Mm -hmm. using a different email and you're really going to put yourself in control of like what gets into your, what gets your attention in that time so that's part of it there's like a level of seriousness and like blinders on like a horse race just like yeah i would say that but at the same time you know a professional has to continue to engage right like you still have to in sport let's say or some other area you still have media responsibilities you still have to do drug drug testing to make sure that you're a clean athlete all that still happens while you're putting things out and then i i know that athletes at the highest level are care very much about their families, their friends, their coaches, and those people that have helped get them to that level. So they're also very mindful of like what they can give to those people during that competition. You know, I I just went as like a fan. I just went as someone who wanted to see Katie win a medal or wins or just participate at the Olympics. So like to show up at the Olympic trials and like to be there to see her make the Olympic team it's an insane moment right for a parent or a coach or a friend it's very celebratory yeah and then to 
you know, to go to the Olympic Games and to be there with her family and one of her best friends and to like witness that and like just to see that. Like I, you, you learn a lot about how people at the highest level kind of juggle it all. It takes a lot. Like as a parent, so much of your sense of accomplishment is how your kids do in life. Do they go on to succeed? Are they happy? Are they grounded? Or making sure they don't get addicted to drugs or just like do bad things. With coaching, it's also like a certain amount of your success is tied to the accomplishments of the people that you coach. So how have you found, like how you view yourself and your accomplishments? Because on one hand, you want to be like, look at everything I've accomplished as an individual, look at all the people I've coached, but at the same time, you don't want to purely attach your sense of accomplishment to other people. Yeah, of course. Well, I think great coaches and like the, the narrative or like the story amongst coaches who coach youth or coach college is, you know, like people will remember how you treat them. Mm -hmm. They might not remember what they say, but they remember how they feel. So I think that's really important and a lot of action around having integrity in sport and there's also a lot of talk around it and people who don't or who haven't who are working toward having it i think coaching is really hard because you're always watched every like there are thousands of people that remember you across the years and everything you say and that's that's challenging because people make mistakes and you want to be remembered for your best moments not your worst but i think often <laughs> you're remembered for your worst or at least your worst and your best <laughs> as a coach. How do you, as Michael, ensure that you feel like you're still living your own life and accomplishing Yeah, it's things? really hard. And I think for, you know, like coaches who've achieved, not me, because I, I haven't, but mm. coaches that have achieved the very highest levels often will find that they don't have their own sense of personhood or identity. Mm. And they either have to step away to find that and come back or they never find it or they feel like it was a necessary sacrifice. I don't think people becoming coaches today are necessarily willing to do that. People want to have balance and a family and, and they want to have everything. They don't want to just have mm -hmm. a coaching career. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, to carve out that space. I mean, I think I've been leaning away. I love coaching and I, I love teaching, but I've, I've been, you know, and I'm teaching more than I used to and I'm becoming a more serious, engaged teacher, you know, with every day that I teach academic subjects and I sort of like lean have been leaning out and away from coaching but then you start to work with a swimmer or you start you work with a couple athletes and you're just so motivated and you mm -hmm. see like you see their fire you see their potential you see their work ethic you see their physical gifts and you're like okay well I can't let that go like I've got to lean back into that it happened recently with a, a youth swimmer um and this just swimmer is just has the mindset and the resources and physical gifts to be incredible. And I've leaned back in there because well, I think the swimmer could be the best in the world someday. So how could I not, how could I not do that? Like when I see the swimmer in the water, yeah, it's really hard. And I think I've made my biggest mistakes. Like when I haven't had that balance, I mean, there were years that I worked 360, or two days out of the year, <laughs> wow. like, wow. you know, maybe we had off on Christmas and like one or two other days, but there are a lot of, a lot of things that I missed as an athlete, but many more things that like were sacrificed or, or I missed as a coach. And I don't, I don't regret it. Cause I, I love coaching and I'm, 
grateful for all the people I've met and the, the things that the teams have, have coached have accomplished. But you you give up a lot, you know, just like in any profession or any endeavor. There you know there are trade offs. You can't you can't have it all or do it all. So you have to figure out, you know, what at what point you're willing to sort of lean back. And I think if you put yourself in situations where you've sacrificed for me when I've given up too much. And for me, that wasn't time, but proximity, mm. being away from family or close mm. friends, that's when I made mistakes. That's when I wasn't happy. That's when I didn't perform. That's when I made choices. Just that you're like, oh, well, a professional wouldn't make that choice. Throughout this this chat here, it's, it's really clear to me that teaching and coaching is something you care a lot about, you think a lot about, and you like keep trying to get better at it. And I think back to when we were just starting the conversation about how you made the decision, like looking at your friends going to different career paths, and you just sort of made this one on the gut feeling that this was something you'd like to do, it's something you'd done in your past. I think a lot of the people might be in that fork in their lives where they're trying to make a decision based off of what might be rational or what might pay well or what might their friends be doing. And I'm just curious if you've got any uh, thoughts for them, especially when you jump into something that's like, you know, make a financial decision on it or you make like a... A career decision on it yeah I mean that's really hard no I think it's important for people to do what they what they like to do and what they feel like they're good at I mean there is that advice like well if you like it you're gonna find a way to make it work for you you know I'm really lucky because I've always had the the support of my parents like they've always encouraged me to to do what I'd like to do and in that they were always behind me they're they're very supportive you know, they've, they've always sort of been behind us no matter what we're doing. So to always have people in your corner, hmm. they're very, you know, they're successful and they're happy people, but there is a, a, a modesty and expectation in that they just wanted us to do what we liked and they wanted us to have success. And there was no expectation that the paycheck would have a certain amount or that we would be working at a certain company or at a, you know, at a certain institution or organization like that really didn't mean anything to them. But I think my parents gradually released in a, in a smart, you know, they're not perfect and no parents are, but I, w I will say in that letting me and my siblings do what we want to do, what makes us happy. And then once we're doing it, just offering their, you know, like their kindness and their, their presence. I think that's for me that, and this is not for all parents, right? In sport, yeah, like exactly. some parents need to stay home. <laughs> like they, they're better like just with the drop off or writing the check for tuition or buying the, the yeah. golf club or the, the lacrosse stick or whatever, because they can't handle the pressure. They shouldn't, they're not good in the space, mm -hmm. but my parents, like their, their gift, like their superpower is their presence. So I think for parents, the parents need to figure out like what their gift is or their superpower is and then really lean in on that. Whether that's like becoming an official or a coach or becoming a volunteer or the team mom or sending the oranges and the cookies, but like staying two miles away. Um, like, like you have to figure out what you do well. I have seen so many parents make mistakes, but I've seen more parents do things super well and like guide their children or help them or lift them up or calm them down. And that's like a really, it's a really great thing to see how so many parents do find what their superpower is. Having people be honest with you, like with the, who don't know you, you know, there are some coaches who I asked and worked with and visited with who I became competitors with and probably don't like me very much anymore. I know they don't like me very much anymore because like <laughs> I went head to head with them in competition and was strong about it. But when the coach who's accomplished or a teacher could be in any field position, like tells you, no, you're good at this. Mm -hmm. or, like you have potential. It's important for you to know you want to do it. It's important for 
someone with some competence or accomplishment in their own right to see something in you. It doesn't have to be everyone, but someone who knows the instrument or the sport or the craft or the dance or whatever. If you can't find one person that's like, you're good at this, or you have potential, then maybe you don't as well. Like you have to be able to hear that. Mm. So Cool. Thank well, you. Yeah. Want to say thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks yeah, for it's very exciting. sharing yeah. your story. I know we went like different directions, zigzag, okay. but I really appreciate you coming on. I'm really appreciative for the, ask i'd say the same it's uh it's always really nice getting a glimpse into someone who's you know lived a life where they've done something that they care about and we can see all these lessons and you know, i'm going to take away stuff like how to be more genuine authentic you know i, I was really, going to reach out to our teachers i'll reach out to my teacher after this teachers uh, love to be reached out to and they don't um my coaches, they don't feel the awkwardness that you might feel. it's probably just us <laughs> no it's probably yeah. lots of students yeah, yeah. but they want to they want to hear from you they put a lot of time and effort into you and they don't forget you or your mm. names or anything. So yeah, they'll remember you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really, really, really appreciate it if you shared it. This is still a small podcast, so it is a huge help when someone shares an episode that they liked. Send it to your family, drop it in the group chat, or share it on social media. It means a lot to me and Abe, and we'll see you next time.